okay, the cypher is complete. You drop the mic. We done. <laughs> Potty done. Pack it up. <laughs> hey, love y'all. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Today on Humanize, Courtney and I are speaking with Jocelyn Rodriguez. So Jocelyn, this is a lively one. This was a really fun conversation. She's an educator and entrepreneur and a community advocate. Um, she has been working principally in the education sector, both in with states in the U.S. and abroad. She intersected with Courtney at Eagle Rock in Colorado, um, but she was from Delaware originally. And you'll get to hear a lot of her story from her on this episode. Um, but she's led a amazing life taking her to Spain and Costa Rica and developing a very interesting skill set in terms of supporting students. So the conversation that we're having today is really looking at looking at education and access to education um, and how this can change and how this can evolve and the importance of it, um, but through her personal story, which is fascinating. So um enjoy uh, this conversation with Jocelyn. Uh, everything she does is making a change for her community and those around her. Yo, what's going on, Humanized family? You know who y'all back with. This guy, this podcast, the heat that we bring to you. Um, this work that we're doing is one towards freedom, uh, one of which we, we show a lot of love. We laugh. But we take it very seriously because we know without acknowledgement of the problem, we can't address it. And so that's what we're actively doing right now. And um, before we get more rooted into this um, episode, I just want to make sure that we leave another disclaimer that we have a relationship with the individuals that we um, interview. And so please do the same just to show respect because this is a struggle. This is a, um, a marathon, not a sprint. And so hopefully you understand the importance of their humanization and respect that we we all should have while we're doing this work. Um, without further ado, let's get to it. But hold on, hold on, Mike. Hold on, Mike. <laughs> Emily, I usually throw it to you, but this one right here, I got I, <laughs> this one right here, I got sis, man. Um, yo, this this woman here, man. This is, I love her, and from the moment we met, I knew that she was special. And she looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, I'm going to let her tell the story how we met. But uh, in short, I just want y'all to know that I, I, I talked about her her city, her hood. And she let me know, like, all right, bro, you read. Relax. You know what I mean? She, she let you know that she was family day one, bro. So I, I can never get too big. I can never feel myself too much. Um, because this phenomenal Latina will always check me. And I appreciate and love her for that. But enough of that. Emily. <laughs> wait, no, wait. Break that ah! story down a little more. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. 
<laughs> what? How did this happen? All right, all right, all right, all right. I'll start it off. I'll start it. You want me to get all of Dada? Uh, you want? Yes, yes. No, we're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna have. Uh, all right, Dada, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So basically, um, we were on a, a professional development trip, and during this time, there were folks outside. We all went on the school bus, um, and there were folks outside of the bus that were collecting items and animals that was like in a creek, um, in the surrounding area of the mm-hmm. creek, and. I came, so did Doc, dressed for not the occasion. So had Jays on, oh. <laughs> very oh, much not no. dressed to be in the outdoors. Um, so we were sitting on the school bus the whole time that folks were outside having lunch, having fun with the wilderness. Um, and I sit next to Doc and he asked, you know, hey, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Wilmington, uh, Wilmington, Delaware. And he was like, Oh, isn't that the murder capital of the United States? Because a couple of years ago, an article oh. came out <laughs> on Wilmington, um, basically talking about the heightened state of violence at the time. And I looked at him and I go, oh, he reads <laughs> like, <laughs> OK, and just kind of like shut it down from there. And from that moment, we sat down started talking about where I was from, where he was from, the fact that we were on the bus dressed for not the occasion, kind of like shaking off. What what have we gotten into moving to Colorado um, and and living in this mountain, mountainous area? um, Because we kind of just didn't know. Um, And from that moment, we hit it off. I wasn't part of Aspen House, which is where Doc was working. Um, And... Since then, it was glued to the hip. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh. oh, and you're, have you been reconnecting since Jocelyn oh, left? Man. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. We probably talk yeah. more now. Stayed yeah, in yeah, touch. Yeah. That's just every week. If, oh, I, if, if I don't, if I don't say in text, she, she on the phone like, hey, bro, I'm going to slap the shit out of you, man. What, what are we doing? <laughs> like, you better pick up the phone. Pick oh. up the phone when I call, you know? So, nah, she, she hold me down. Like, I, I love that. Yeah, family. I love that. <laughs> Well, today we're going to kind of, um, as always, you know, see where the conversation goes, but root ourselves in um, what I'm seeing, and I could see this totally wrong, as maybe a conversation about um, the intersection of something you're very passionate about, which is international education, going abroad. Um, And I'm curious, like, how that, that began, that journey began for you. And also the themes of social justice and identity. Um, And so maybe, you know, because the title of our podcast, I guess the, what is it, after the colon, the subtitle, the line, I don't even know. Um, (laughs) Whatever comes after humanize, colon, stories from the heart about social justice. Um, We haven't really revisited for a while how we define social justice. And I'm just curious. to start off and give the context, like how you, how do you define social justice? Well, for me, it's, it depends on, on the capacity itself. Um, I think when I think of social justice and when I've worked on dismantling that, um, it's always been in the education sector or within the work that I'm doing. Um, and a lot of it has to do with um, being seen and allowing for other folks in that space to be seen, whether they come from uh, marginalized communities, um, well, including like POC folks, um, low-income mm-hmm. folks, uh, LGBTQ folks, um, because these are the capacities of, of folks that I've been working with in the past. So 
more so kind of working on that, having those folks be seen and then working through the system is dismantling the system itself. And I think that there are a lot of systems that I've been a part of, um, probably all of us have been a part of that uphold um, the, the characteristics of supremacy. Um, and within that, uh, mm-hmm. various groups of folks uh, benefit and other folks um, do not. And so that social justice piece that I embody um, more so looks like challenging that whenever I see um, and, and working in organizations that allow for, for my voice to be heard, respected, um, mm-hmm. and also to allow for that space that I can dismantle, right? Like I, I know who I am and what I embody and not everywhere and everyone is going to listen. Um, yeah, but there are a lot of places that, that provide this space and, and will. Um, and so that mm. courage and that piece with social justice that I think about is, is really dismantling, um, in any capacity dismantling and then figuring out what's your why dismantling for, for the youth. Right. Cause I've been working in education, dismantling for myself, um, as a young professional, um, and dismantling for mm-hmm. people who come from where I come from or other, uh, communities that they can do the same. So mm-hmm. a lot of dismantling and empowering. Mm-hmm. I, I would love... What is dismantling? I, I actually oh, would love to ahead. also know your definition of social justice, Emily. Yeah. Me? Yeah. No, I'm in the I'm in the zone listening to oh, her. I, 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 okay, okay. You know, because... All right, cool, cool. I just wanted to... It just popped in my head that I want to hear yours, but okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I don't know which way yeah. to go. I want okay. So I feel like you just said so many interesting things. We can come yeah. back to that if yeah, you remember to ask me later. But um ah, what was my story? Dismantling. Um could you could you say more about that? I don't know. Like you you said three categories, like yourself, the youth, and community. Um, or also you're talking about professional institutions and maybe um sorting through who who listens to like who who's willing to hold space for that maybe yeah. is that well I, you can always correct my paraphrasing um yeah i'm just wondering if you could like just break that down more because i think there a lot of people throw around the term of like doing the work or wanting to be in the work um it but we all have probably different ways we're thinking of that Right. And I, I think I stay away from like that doing the work aspect because it always is like this piece of um, if I say it, then that means that I'm, I'm a lot of organizations like the work. Right. What does the work even look like? You know, if I go from mm-hmm. I'm to Colorado to Spain, the work looked a lot different for me when I was living abroad than it, than it would in, in Colorado um, working in alternative yeah. education. Um, then working mm-hmm. in the traditional roles, uh, the work once again looks different. In my community versus communities that I've lived in over the last year and a half, uh, that work looks different. So more mm-hmm. so, I, I stay glued to that word dismantle um, because in every place that I've been, there is a system. Um, and I stepped into that system, whether it be just as a community member when I was living in the, the south of Spain, uh, when I was living in the north of Costa Rica, I was living in a region called Guanacaste. Um, when I was living in Colorado, when I come back to my own community, uh, and then when I go into that professional space, that professionalism, most of the work that I've done has been in the education capacity, um, and dismantling looks different. Um, I think when it comes to the school system, especially when I was starting out in that, like finding my voice sense was a lot of the time 
in 2020 when radical education was at its prime, when that was part of the conversation. What does radical education look like? Um, mm. And I think... What is radical education? I haven't turned that. I haven't heard that term. So, I mean, Doc, you can even jump in because one of my favorite educators, somebody that I love to read about, follow, um, is Bettina Love. Um, and she talks often about this radical education sense um, and even radical self-love um, and radical love itself, right? And I think there are a lot of different authors and a lot of folks that that dive deep into those different topics. Um, and I think the the radical sense is doing something that is out of the norm, right? Like, and like I said, everyone defines that for themselves differently. Uh, so when you think of radical education, how are you including all voices in a space, right? How how are you diversifying your your teachers? How is every voice being heard? How is this being um, included in the curriculum, right? Is every student being able to be represented um, and seen? Like that kind of thing. Uh, in radical self-love, um, it's different when I think of myself three years ago, I think I'm on a whole different path and journey. Like my values have definitely shifted. Um, but radical self-love, right? What does that, what do I need to dismantle within myself um, to make me an access point for more people? I think when I was growing mm -hmm. up, I was very hyper-focused on like the students that looked like me and come from where I come from. And as I've mm -hmm. navigated different professional capacities, I've seen the need that young people need people. We all need people, right? And you never know mm -hmm. who you're sitting across from, who you're in the room with. And with that limited mm -hmm. mindset, um, how many doors was I unconsciously closing? Mm -hmm. How many how many um, voices in the room was I unconsciously closing, right? Like not allowing for that space. So I think dismantling Coming back to that word dismantling, where I'm at on my journey um, as a professional and as somebody who like really sits with myself um, is dismantling myself so that when I'm in these systems um, and I'm I'm saying, hey, we have to ask this question. Why has nobody asked this question? Um, we have to think about this group. of mm -hmm. people. Why has no one asked about these group of people? It's also um, allowing for myself to be asked those difficult questions because I'm only going to get better if I put myself in a myself in a position to receive that feedback, to be challenged, um, and to grow. So yeah, dismantling is where I stay. I say mm -hmm. I say that's the real work, right? Um, yourself, um, yeah. and then when you're in these different spaces, when you have these opportunities to allow for yourself to be challenged, um, why challenging the system that you're a part of? Mm. I love I love what you just said. Um, about like, if I'm going to, again, paraphrasing, if I'm going to say something to someone else, am I completely prepared to have the same kind of like calling out happening to me? I think that's such a good um, like North Star in this process to avoid the self-righteousness that can come up when people start we just had an episode on like the hyper woke and like when people start falling into that like i have it right now you have it wrong um to kind of like it's humbling it feels to me like it's humbling yourself constantly into the work and and allowing it to dismantle you you know like not just like oh i got to this place i'm here now um that's yeah really beautifully put as like a, a guardrail to to continue. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it's 
we have to be focused on the picture, right? If we're working together, all three of us, um, on whatever project we're a part of, who are we trying to serve? Who's our Who's our audience? Um, that's the work. Mm-hmm. Like all of us need to reach that audience. All of us have our assets. We have our strengths, and and mm-hmm. we have our growth areas. Um, I could say pros mm-hmm. and grows. Um, so a mm-hmm. lot of the time you're gonna lean back. There's times, for example, even even just in friendship and love and family. I know who I'm going to call to be challenged in what I need to be challenged about in some particular area of my life. I'm not going to call someone who's going to console me and provide me comfort when I know it's an area of growth I need. I'm going to call the person. A lot of the time we, we're on the phone when, when Doc and I are talking, like it's it's to be challenged. Um, it's to grow because it's bigger than than ourselves. It's bigger than myself. Um, and I, I keep that in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I've even transitioned is to understanding that I also need to keep myself in that bigger picture because uh, yeah. working for this external, eventually, like the world, the work is nonstop. Um, and if you're not pouring into yourself while you're pouring into to others, um, it's only going to be it's going to be a short lived journey. And, I, and I've, been, <laughs> I've been really focused on that recently. That's a recent focus. Oh, for sure. It's it's something that I've just been learning um, as I'm finding more grounding from traveling um, yeah. and things like that. What does that look like? Oh, it's definitely staying still. Um, mm. And I, I don't see that as... So I moved away from Delaware um, in 2018. I moved to Colorado where I was working at Eagle Rock. And um, when I moved... I was in AmeriCorps right after college. So a little bit of my upbringing um, and who I am. I, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, basketball was was my safe haven. Um, it was the, the the tool that drove the the success. And I defined success at the time as I want to go to college. Um, and I did everything and anything to get myself to the point where college was accessible. And accessible for me means I could afford it. Um, so basketball... Yeah was was that key for me. Um, I remember my junior year of high school getting more serious about it um, and being like, okay, I ran track, played volleyball, played softball in the summers. I kept I kept my family active behind me. Uh, my mom was at everything. And um, yeah, <laughs> so I had I realized that if I get hurt playing volleyball, basketball is going to be very far fetched. Um, no one's looking to recruit because no one's going to look to recruit me if I get hurt. And so I stopped playing every sport, focused on basketball. And my senior year, um, we won the state championship in Delaware. And that same day, um, up until that point, I had not received an offer to go to school. Um, mm-hmm. And that day I met a coach who ended up being kind of like my rock throughout college. And he was like, look, you can go to the school, Wilmington University. Um, and we're going to pay, you know, it's full ride. Um, oh, yeah. I have chills. I have my hands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's amazing. And usually, like, there's there's a date where you, uh, the signing day that happens for juniors. I missed because like I said, I, I had D3 schools looking at me. D3 schools cannot offer athletic scholarship. So, um, yeah, this silver lining with Wilmington U came um, and he set up basically the backdrop and everything and made my own individual signing day. So my grandparents and my mom could see me sign um, at college. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's, he's a very special person to me. Um, Like 
you understood like how big of a deal this is. Exactly. And I, I remember oh. my junior year of high school. So I went to private school and um, tuition became hard. Um, I come from a single parent household. My mom did everything and anything to make sure that we had what we needed. Um, and then we started working in my house. So I started working at 14 to make sure I had what I wanted kind of thing. Um, and I remember having a conversation with my mom and realizing like that daunting feeling of, oh, we're like college is not something that might be affordable outside of scholarships and things like that. Um, and at the time, I'm first generation. I had no idea like about how to apply for scholarships and any of that. You know, my school mm. did not have like someone who was working with folks that came from low income backgrounds um, to provide this kind of support. It was just like individuals finding it for themselves. And a lot of people were taking uh -huh. AP classes and uh, those doors were open naturally for them. Um, and I was, yeah. like I said, I was a great student. I always had great grades. Um, and it just wasn't in my, in my cards at the time. So basketball happened. Um, I ended up going to Women's University at the small division two school located in Delaware. I got a full ride. I graduated um, from Women's University and was like, I need to leave Delaware. Still didn't leave, joined AmeriCorps my first year out of college um, and did my second year in Colorado, which is where I stayed uh, for three and a half years working in alternative education. Um, from there, I moved mm -hmm. very soon in 2020, um, hit a spot in my life where I just was like, what is next? Like, this is not, this can't just be it. Like, I want to do more um, and realize how scared I was. And mm. no one, like I said, um, first generation, I think, often gets talked about in this like college realm, first gen college student. I was the first in my family to move from my block. Um, oh, wow. First in my family to move to another state, to move to another country, let alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that first the courage. <laughs> and even now I say it and I'm like. I, I, I have to focus on saying saying it humbly. Um, and I'm like damn, I did that. Like scared. I did that crying. I did that calling my mom and like calling my family and, and feeling guilty. Like I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And one year turned to two years and two years turned to three years and three years turned to move into a uh -huh. country and to another country and to it. Like it just, yeah. um, so there was no one in front of me showing me how to get it done. It has always been me doing it um, and then talking to people around me and and the universe really putting folks in my pathway um, that supported me. Like Doc very often is like, never apologize for being great. Um, that's something I never heard mm. growing up. Um, Oh my gosh. Well, I can resonate with that. <laughs> he always says that. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm like, my I've mom. never, you're saying things I've never heard. <laughs> exactly. And I would talk to my mom and my mom is like, she will very often say this phrase. Like I would talk to her like, mom, there's this new opportunity. And she would say, well, what's the worst that can happen? And I would think mm. like, what is the worst that can happen? And then I remember receiving the job offer in Colorado. And my mom's like, what's the worst that can happen? I remember saying, well, if I get the job, then I'm not here. That could be the worst that can happen. And I kept asking myself, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And simultaneous to that question, mm -hmm. um, my mom would push me to do it. 
Um, and, and it was hard on all of us at first. Like everyone's like, come back home, come back home. Um, and I remember telling my family, like, if you keep calling me, telling me to come back home, I'm going to go back and I'm never going to be happy. Like I can get to that here. Like I'm okay. Um, so having that like conversation with my mom, my mom recognizing like, okay, like I get it. Let me, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a mother. And I, for the way we grew up was like, my mom was definitely um, keeping us together. I have four siblings. I have, um, well, I have two brothers. Uh, my dad has a son. And then uh, my mom has two daughters and a son. And my mom, when there's a will, there's a way. And one thing she always, mm. you know, one thing she always did was get it done. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I might've been the first to do a lot of things, but I definitely was not the first to get it done. My mom got it done. Mm. Um, so the mm. muscle mm-hmm. was like, man, if, if we couldn't, it's, it's a, it's almost like that idea of like, we think of these like superheroes and these far-fetched people. Um, and, and you think of like a parent is the person who puts the food on the table and, and the house and those things to live. But my mom very much instilled these values in us, um, growing up that like, I see it now as I got older and now that I'm back home and spending time with my family of like, we're going to make sure we set goals and my siblings, all of us are like, we're going to get there and we're also going to support each other to get there. Um, And then like that famous question of like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Amazing family (laughs) come from. (laughs) We should talk to your mom next. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. <laughs> um, Courtney, I feel like I'm monopolizing because I'm like nah, so interested in yo, all these I things. So know. I want you to come on I in. I told and- you, I told you, I was bringing a heavy hitter. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit back and pat myself on the back because you know how arrogant I am. You know, I did that shit. I just like <laughs> I do nothing, bro. Yo, she, she was, she came out like that. You know, um, I feel blessed to be able to find very few people that I could talk to. Um, who I hold as intellectual giants, and and Johnson's definitely, definitely on that on that Mount Rushmore mm. for me, you know. Mm. And so when we when we mm. talk about education, we get like fired up. Like you talk about basketball, like who wanted we we going back and forth. Um, we we talking about like just say misogyny or patriarchy, and um, just just being hundred percent honest about. What we what we may know, what we have to unlearn, what we have to push um, forward for for our community, mm-hmm. and I think activism looks mm-hmm. like um, showing the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you can see the total person and not always look like they're clean cut in their suits and they're standing up on a podium and they're delivering hope, there's also times when they don't know what the hell to do. They hate the life that. Um, they're passionate about sometimes. Sometimes they just would love to be ordinary and not have to think so much about people who may never even know them or may not even appreciate the struggle that they're in. You know, it's like sometimes people literally say, yo, fuck you, you know, and, and you're fighting for them, you know. And so to know the reality of this struggle and to have someone that I can talk to, I find very blessed. Um, I find myself and feel very blessed to be in that um, uh, something that keeps coming up for me is this thing of radical education. 
And um, Jazz, she alluded to it a little bit. And I mean, a lot. And I also want to add, like, I feel like when you do anything radically, a lot of times it's synonymous with visionary because a lot of people are not doing it. Um, so it looks wrong. Um, just like I always go back to, to my <laughs> to my civil rights idol, Harriet Tubman. Uh, slavery was like, that was radical. That was a radical thing to think about freedom when you are a slave. You know, and mm-hmm. I always talk about it in awe and always centers me. And so I know people tired of hearing about it. But when I think about Harriet Tubman, I can't complain that much no more. <laughs> like, I, like, what am I complaining about? You know, this she kept coming back to a situation that would have killed her um, numerous times and not getting given the until 2023 people like 2022. Like, I started really going into uh, the life of a Harriet Tubman and was in awe, you know. And so just to know that to me is radical. And so we're talking about freedom with mm-hmm. regards to education. Let's take a page from Harry's book. What are we willing to do to make sure people where we come from are educated? And I'm not talking about degrees. I'm talking about things that cause liberation. Understanding money, understanding um, being offered health care, being offered um, housing, being offered um, just things that can, can not distract you from living from life and thriving. Because poverty is just a huge distraction. And so when you are distracted by poverty, you cannot be educated. I really don't care about learning to read when I am starving. I can't. I I don't care about that, you know? And so when we start to think about what am I willing to do to dismantle the present day system of oppression, that is, I always look back, what would Harriet do? She told someone, I am going to kill you if you get in my way towards freedom because this mission is bigger than your fear and my fear she never said she wasn't afraid Mm -hmm. she just said that i cannot be so afraid to get to what i have never experienced that is visionary movement like so education that exists today Mm -hmm. is being shown daily and monthly and yearly and generationally that it does not work so what are we going to continue to perpetuate that same edu- educational p- pathway? You can't do it because that is. Wait, which doesn't work? Education as it, doesn't. As it exists today. What, as yes, it exists today. The system, system, that, the system we've that we've created to perpetuate white supremacy and to and give advantages to a certain class of people and disadvantage glaringly others. It does not work. We have many many examples to show so what are we going to do act like we can take our time okay so we want more people to die we want more individuals not to receive access enough is enough you know so i'm taking that page and again josh highlighted that for me with radical but tina love talks about i'm not here to reform i'm here to abolish i'm here to dismantle that is what I have to do because reforming something, meaning I'm going to fix it. You can't fix it. We have to tear it down and rebuild. That looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Where does this, um, I'm curious where this 
notion of rad- radical education fits in with um, your current work with international education? Like, how how do those fit together? I mean, <laughs> you got a poor kid on a on a trip in another country is radical. Very. Um, yeah. And and, yeah. and and like and it's you know for lack of better words that's what that's what it is right. Um, Doc, you hit a good point. I was about to say, what does freedom mean? You you hit it. That that what does education mean? That liberation. Um, I would even add therapy. Hmm. You know, that is you in communities where we come from. We almost once you've gotten through the pain, you still chase pain. Um, and it's unfamiliar when when you reach this like inner peace, this wisdom, um, understanding. And that's why I keep going back to mm-hmm. self is is that peace. Um, and when we talk about like radical education in the international sense, um, something that I've seen as radical is you're starting for a lot, for a lot of organizations, right? We don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they don't. Know. Mm-hmm. And then you have a person that comes into a system and says, "Hey, something's going like y'all are doing a great job, but why is there a population not being served? Why is there a population not on these trips abroad? Or why why is there a population?" of people that um, can't access this? Like what can be done, you know, to provide this bridge? Yeah, I feel you. I, um, this is, I, I live for this. You know, I, I can't even think about now a life where I can't speak mm-hmm. on like topics of freedom. I can't put into action and I can't create. So that is where, like, when people ask me, what do I do for a living? Like, activism is the only thing that comes to mind. Everything else is just a tool to get more active, to become um, more socially conscious, to become more of a social entrepreneur. That's it. That's the only title that means anything for me. Um, And so when you, again, you're talking about poverty and the access for a student to just, even if a student went to Spain, got off the plane, saw the south of Spain, got back on the plane and flew back to his hood, you've broken something right there. Right. And there's so much <laughs> so much that happens with that, too, is like even going back, um, international education, when it comes to, to, I would say international educational programs mm-hmm. and not so much the school system. I would go programmatic, uh, programmatic aspect and capacity. Mm-hmm. is like you have a low-income student on a trip Versus a student that goes on these trips every summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a conversation that needs to be had. So so if you think about radical, you can go into different aspects of like what that looks like. And one mm-hmm. aspect is having the conversation, preparing the student for what happens, that culture shock. You know, um, both students experience culture shock in a new country if they're both going there. One is just used to having the access and the other is not. Yeah. Um then there's that that preparation is that conversation. Then, you know, you have to even unpack. This student might go through imposter syndrome, guilt. Hmm. You know, a lot of the time what brings us back is not so much that we long for what's what we left. It's that we feel guilty for leaving it in the first place. Um, we feel guilty that we had to leave it to attain success. So that student that might have got off the plane, saw the south of Spain, and got back on the, the plane and went back home. What was that process like? It's almost like I remember one of my trips um, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to go to Italy. Um, this was like and, and when I tell you, like, 
um, during 2020, I had like cleaned out a lot of stuff that I had as a kid at my mom's house. And I found a journal at the time of, you know, the dreams that I wanted to accomplish as an adult. And I'm like little Josie. My my, my nickname is Josie. So I'm little Josie's wildest dreams because I did it. I did the thing that she wanted to do. Um, and one of the places I always wanted to go was Italy. And I remember getting, and I'm I'm saying this, and it's it's what an immense amount of privilege that I did not grow up with. And sometimes I I stop myself and refrain myself from speaking about my travel experiences because I don't come from this being a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, people are not having mm-hmm. breakfast with me, and 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 t- we're sitting and talking about our travel experiences. I have been blessed and to have people in my life, even like Doc where I can talk about it and people I have met um, almost like that alchemist theory, right? Like I've met along my journey that I get to have conversations with where it doesn't feel like I'm bragging um, or, or like not being humble. Um, So with that, I want to give that, that aspect and also say when I got to Italy, uh, I got to this plaza in Milan at the time and it's wild, bro. I, I'm talking about, I don't even know, like, I, I was in a plaza in Milan. Like, Talk your shit, player. I I, I'm saying, like, I remember FaceTiming my mom and crying. Yeah. Uh, my mom, grandparents, yeah. or her parents, and wishing that she was there. I'm like, I wish y'all could be here. I wish they could be. Mm. Um, And my mom just, like, being happy. And, and, like, I would call Doc. I would call folks that, I, that I've, like, had my my family, right, my village. Um. <clears throat> And and just be crying like uh, I got I got to go to Africa like I I was in Morocco and rode a camel mm. and like the desert um, and these things that like you cannot you almost cannot talk about and I don't know if it's because of this external idea or almost like myself right like I don't give myself mm. this permission um, so we talk a lot about radical education radical self love but. I also want to talk about like uh, radical self-acceptance because I had to accept and I'm still going through the progress uh, process of accepting the fact that like I am someone who loves to travel. I am someone deserving of traveling and having that access. And so when it comes coming back to your question, Emily, of that radical um, international sense is like having those conversations, right? These organizations are not saying that we will only want to serve one population of people. They're not saying that, but they need to have people in those spaces saying, Hey, I want to support you in reaching this other group, this other, um, these other folks. And I want to put myself Mm -hmm. in a position to support that. And that's where people mess up. Right. It's like, they want to say this organization's not doing anything. Um, but like, sometimes you have to step up and be the one, Mm -hmm. Right. Right. They want to have the conversation. They want to have students on those trips that might have been a little little Josie. Right. They want little Josie to go experience Italy and Spain and Africa and Portugal and all these places that I got to as an adult. Um, But who's the the adult version of me in that space, making that that an opportunity accessible? Mm -hmm. And so at one point you have to realize that your voice is only going to take you so far eventually. It's either you have to be at that seat or bring your own damn seat to the table. Um, And so a lot Mm -hmm. of the time it's that is like having the conversations, recognizing like, okay, they want to do it. Um, I might have to to put more time into this. And and unfortunately, right, that's 
the unfortunate reality that some folks have to play is that that burnout happens because there's no one else that's going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's the trust, the fact that like when, for example, if a student has access to those trips, how are we preparing the student? Because we don't know what they need. We want them to have Africa, right? My sister tells me all the time, you want us to do all these things, but it's what you want to do. I want to be here. I want to sit here and just be. And like, I remember mm-hmm. being that I'm the oldest sibling. And like, that was such a crucial conversation of like, my sisters are fine. Like they they don't need to go and experience all this these things that I've done or my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with students and the students that do prepare them. Don't don't just make sure. Um, I think working in Colorado, there was a point where students got to go to this um, experience called Sports Challenge and Eagle Rock made it a, a priority. Um, there was a staff member in particular that said, make sure they have sneakers, tennis sneakers, basketball sneakers, slides and all the gear that they need. And and I know that seems like, oh, well, whatever. Like, it's just basketball sneakers. And it's just, no. I was the, have you ever been the one in the room that didn't have the, st- the shoes, didn't have the pencil to do yeah, the homework, yeah. didn't have the notebook, didn't have mm-hmm. the resources? Those sneakers mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. more than just a pair of sneakers. Yeah. Now I'm stepping on that court as everybody is my equal. And now I'm stepping on that court. I'm not starting from negative. I'm, I'm starting from where my, my peers are starting from. And, and that's mm-hmm. what I think about when I think about being radical are those pieces, these like blind spots sometimes that we have um, as, as teams, as organizations, as individuals, um, and then working on yourself so that you can see them. And then also having these necessary conversations with people that are very different from you um, so that you can mm-hmm. continue to progress because in education, it's not, there's not just one way. Um, and I think more and more we're starting mm-hmm. to realize that not only with like Bettina talking about abolish the system, she's talking about a system that's very different than a system that I learned to educate in, which was in uh, the alternative education realm. Um, but every every system needs work um, and people who are willing to do it. And we need people that are willing to look within themselves and say, am I qualified? And qualified meaning Am I ready um, to be questioned, to be challenged, to grow um, in order for myself um, and for my community in which I'm trying to serve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I'm just struck by, you know, having been in the international education space for so long and on the admin side and also in the field, how there's a lot of emphasis on like how do we how do we get a few kids on every program that might not otherwise afford it but putting the extra resources to to meet them there and not have the assumption of similarity um and we're talking about small groups so like everyone's experience is going to be different i feel like that the the framing around um you know, being more explicit with like, you might anticipate imposter syndrome and experience guilt. Like I've, I've taught about um, culture shock forever. I have not ever included those, uh, you know, as that hasn't been my experience. And so I, it's so helpful to have those in the conversation. Um, Cause I know I was always, I was particularly concerned the few times that we had black kids going to Africa with um, white guides 
because there, you know, that is a very, like, there is so much there. There is so much there to unpack. I'm talking specifically about Black American kids who have never been there. And um, that to have that radical education really, like, come together takes so much of that constant learning mindset from the teacher and I think that, like you were saying before, like the it, that takes energy, and we're all getting burnt out, <laughs> right? It's like how do we how do we find that um, ability to stay in that constant learning space ourselves, so that we can support it for the students? Yeah, and and, and approaching it with grace. A lot of people want to to do that, right? A lot of people want to diversify students that have access to, to trips abroad. A lot of people want to, like they want, I have met, um, I know a lot of times we get into social justice and we talk about the lack thereof, right? There's not enough of, and mm. a lot of people want to, it's just, they might not want to be the one to do it. So what are you mm-hmm. do when you have the conversation? Uh-huh. Like I mm-hmm. sit at the table with you and I'm going to say, this needs to be done. And I'm going to, I'm going to also ask, how can I support? How can I be the one? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to look at right. that, that that job opening and shift and merge and do these things to say, hey, I, like I noticed this, um, but but asking the question. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. that's the gap. Um, so, mm-hmm. yes, that that burnout happens because folks have to step in because then you can argue the other side. Right. Like, why does it always have to be us? Why does it always have to be me? Mm-hmm. That does it. Why do mm-hmm. I have to have the conversation about imposter syndrome and guilt. Why are you assuming that's part of my story? Yeah. Why are you mm. part of my narrative? There's that side to mm-hmm. it too. So I don't want to negate that that's a reality. Yeah. Um, and and so both exist, and that that's the duality that comes with with all of mm-hmm. you know quote unquote the work. Mm-hmm. Um, the both it, and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's more than just there's there's no simple way of, around it and about it. It, it just give yourself the grace, give the, the, the spaces of grace, ask the questions, um, do your own individual work, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, and then surround yourself with people that are propelling you forward. Um, and then I think the, the biggest thing for me is every door that's open for me is to remember there's a group of people that also um, I represent and I can also turn my hand back to. And, and Doc, we talk about this all the time. Sometimes that keeps mm-hmm. us um, we don't propel forward, right? Because we're so focused on turning back mm-hmm. where a lot of people mm. up, right? Like I made it to this point and I'm going to keep going for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that looks a lot quicker. Whereas for for how I grew up, is is this a value of mine has always been that the further I get, the more that I have to look back and, and realize that I have had privileges that other people don't and what am I going to do with this privilege? How can I utilize mm-hmm. this privilege? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. People. The thing about it too is mm-hmm. a lot is coming mm-hmm. up for me when you talk about it. Um, representation comes to mind um, crazy because like mm-hmm. Jocelyn, you and I represent something that a lot of times get represented in a negative way, to be honest. And so if if I feel like it's my job to make education cool and sexy. You know, like if you're not educated, what you doing out here? You know, cause Jocelyn did it. Look at her, look at the swag. Look how she moving. Nah, she's not playing ball. She's an educator. She's an innovator. She's a thinker. And it can look like that too. Um, 
you talked about mm-hmm. family. For me, I had to redefine what family is to kind of not feel bad for always not being home. That makes sense. So you'll always hear me, what's good, fam? That was me training my mind to view someone that I just met, just got a handshake to as family. You know, and so it is mm. like they joke about me now, you're right, because everything is what's good, fam. But they don't understand. For me, that's my therapy because where we come from, if it's not your mother, your father, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, or your aunt, like I can't, yo, you're not a Russell. I don't know you. I got to go somewhere. Y'all figure it out. It gets me in trouble a lot. Mm. This is why I'm single. This is why I am. Because when you view family, that's a lot for someone else to also have to view family the same way. Like Johnson knows she can call me anytime of night. Mm. Emily, you can call me anytime of night. Nine times out of ten, unless I'm just knocked to the world, hello, what we doing? <laughs> because now you've transferred yeah. your, your family, you know? But mm-hmm. if I'm laying next to the bed with a partner and I'm picking up the phone, that could be an issue if that person has not, doesn't understand me and my why. My why is to right. serve. I am only here still living to serve. And so if I can't do that, I should be dead. And that is a radical way of thinking. And unless you are crazy too, like, oh, Courtney, you made it. How, what, why? Johnson didn't make it. Emily didn't make it. So I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And so like, if you live with that mindset, when it comes to education, if we adopted that, just imagine if I become educated and ex- exhibit A, B, C, D is not I am not educated. Right. That's different, bro. If, if we all took, if a teacher stood in the classroom and said, yeah. I am not leaving or I am not, I have no success, no matter how many degrees I have behind my name, if the person who the trajectory is school to prison pipeline, um, not respected, mm-hmm. if they, if I haven't changed the trajectory of individuals that I've come in contact with, I haven't used this tool of a degree or access that I may have. I'm, I'm misusing it and I should be held accountable. And so I yeah, hold I think, that. And that's the reality of, of that is, is the other piece, right? Is the frustration that comes with being the one to, to speak up, right? And the one to be at the table mm-hmm. is recognizing like where your ego is present. <laughs> and a lot of times uh, I, I like very often, um, uh, Doc and I always talk about this one extravagant, like this woman uh, <laughs> told me, ain't nobody going to do you like you do you, mm. right? And I know that's a lot, mm. of, a lot to think about. You cannot expect that how you speak mm. um, and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do with your life, that other people around you are trying to do the same thing. So you you can't get frustrated with like this person well, if I was them, I would have did it this way. You're not mm-hmm. them. So what are you going to yeah. do? Right? Yeah. So often we get stuck on this idea that like this person needs to move this way because they said they care. And if they cared, it would look like X, Y, and Z. No, that's how we define caring. Yeah. And that's when I talk about that empathy and that grace. And and like we, when you talk mm-hmm. about social justice, there's so many other aspects that don't get to be brought into the room because... Of um, ego. Who's going to got their ego to like bring that in yeah. right like we're social justice and that's and where it's i that feel like that, yeah, Emily. that going abroad is so so good oh 
it's cutting out. I, that's where I feel like going abroad can be so helpful to understand mm-hmm. like, oh, right. Like in Spain, they talk about professionalism in a different way. They talk about respect in a different way. They talk. And so when you come back, you can be like, well, I can start assuming right. my colleague talks about respect in a mm-hmm. different way. This, you know, it kind of like takes the extreme to teach the nuance that we experience here where so many different cultures come together and, and you know, create this country. So the most I, radical just, thing I learned by traveling is that rest is radical. Hmm. Rest, <laughs> Acc- and like, and and Doc, I mean, we we know this, and and everyone on this phone call, you know, we we know this because in the United States, where we work, everything is work. I mean, you probably Constantly. got. We could talk about how many side hustles each of us have or have had <laughs> at once, right? Mm-hmm. And and we talk about it with almost this like boastful energy, yeah. like, yeah, I do this, that, right. this, that. I'm doing ninety things. <laughs> I'm doing ninety things. I moved to Spain, and they were like. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to work that hard. Um, I moved to Spain. I was working max 20 hours a week. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> every time I got out of work, <laughs> it was a siesta. Siesta oh my God. that businesses are closed. Um, there was a, I lived in a small, so I lived in Jaén, which is a province in the south of Spain, in a small town called Ubeda. Um, and very small town. So like at the time of siesta, there's one coffee shop open. Um, and and maybe one restaurant, right, where you can eat a, a meal or whatever. Everything else is closed. Grocery store, banks, you name it. Clothing stores from like two to five thirty, six o'clock, and then from six to eight they open back up. Um, and then the streets are live. And I'm talking about it is empty outside, empty. Um, mm-hmm. And that you don't realize. I remember when I first got there, and I was I had so much anxiety around it. I'm like. Oh my God, I need to work. I ended up getting a second job. Yeah, like, <laughs> not okay, not okay, not okay. Exactly. I ended up cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance. <laughs> so during that siesta, I was working on a second job teaching English. Yeah. Um, oh my God. <laughs> where I was like, and I remember one of my coworkers from um, my, my first job was like, both jobs were teaching English. My first job was teaching English based on like the U.S. English. Mm-hmm. And my second job was based in Britannica. So that British English, uh, instead of teaching pants, I taught trousers. Instead of teaching closet, we said wardrobe. Um, so, Oh, my gosh. You are good at shifting. Very, very, right? Yeah. And then I remember like coming back to the U.S. and recognizing, oh, my God, I'm going to be working eight hours again. And I'm not going to time. <laughs> and like. Where is like where like when I say my values have shift, one of my biggest values is uh, peace hmm. and and my big two are peace and autonomy. Yeah. In Spain, mm. there was that that level of peace I had because of the autonomy I was able to have because of the time yeah. I had. And then mm-hmm. back almost with this muscle of like I'm back to that hustle bustle because I got to make yeah. it because I'm back where I grew up yeah. or I'm back around the people I, that that feed that muscle yeah. and then finding, like I didn't go there live there you know be a part of a culture to not embody that rest is radical because you know this vessel deserves that this mind deserves that my spirit deserves that and um that alone where I grew up sometimes like I, we talk about imposter syndrome like it's almost it, it, you feel guilty because 
everyone else is like the audacity of you coming back and thinking that you need to rest. Like, what have you done in your <laughs> amount of time? Earth, right. And it's it's almost like, yeah. that. like I talk to my grandparents and I'm like, I'm ready to retire. Like this whole work thing is is like, you know, I'm ready to just retire. We've been brainwashed. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so I yeah, I hate to do this, but we need we need to wrap up oh, mainly because I have to go get my five year old at soccer. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a fun, lively conversation, and I feel like there's so much more. And I I love I'm kind of reflecting how, you know, one of my first questions was like, you know, tell me about dismantling. And I feel like if I could like go back with a little highlighter to our conversation since then, there's so yeah. many points that we're yeah. talking like really about dismantling white supremacy culture with the urgency and the hyper individualism. And if I succeed, if I get educated, that's fine. You know, we're not thinking collectively yeah. and the value systems. Um, so I love how, yeah, if you like listen to how many different ways you kind of talk through dismantling, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, really loved talking to you today. Man, Likewise. Man. <laughs> you Come did man. you did that, player. I you you did that. You did that. Um, I feel thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thank you. So like these conversations that we have between me and you, now the world gets to hear some of the uh, some of your <laughs> some of your brilliance and um i feel really blessed and appreciative yeah. um to be in your life um to hear this to struggle and the triumphs uh that you have and just many more to come yeah you know mm -hmm. and just to be a part mm -hmm. of your story and your journey i, I hold that as a uh, one of the successes in my life so thank you appreciate that mm -hmm. bro and both of you thank you for having me in this space um and like, I think it's it's one of these things that I've been holding myself back from. And I remember talking to Doc is like, you know, we all have a story and and sometimes you got to believe that yours is worth telling. Um, mm, yeah. Even if, even if it's just one person, even if it's one person. It really is. And, yeah. and it touches one person. Um, so I mm -hmm. appreciate y'all both for allowing this space to be able to, to embark on, on something that I have been holding myself back from doing. I love it. Um, so okay. The cypher is complete. Awesome. You dropped the mic. We done. <laughs> Potty done. Pack it up. <laughs> hey, love y'all, man. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.